Okay, I now have a new favorite song. <laughs> wow, that's awesome. Thank you. What's it called? The Garden, Peter Mayer. Peter Mayer in the Garden. Fantastic. Fantastic. <sighs> what a long month. Snow, not snow, some more snow. And then we get these beautiful days to remind us what's coming, huh? Today we have the chance to talk about eco-spirituality. Frank Lloyd Wright said, I believe in God. I just call it nature. And that really kind of grasps the heart of what eco-spirituality is about. And I saved it for today um, for two reasons. One, because I think it kind of culminates everything that we have done over the last month. And two, and what you won't know, is because tonight our sanctuary is being used by uh, ooh, by four really amazing people who have been studying eco-spiritual ministry for how long now, Bonnie? A year? Yeah. So tonight they're going to step into this form of ministry right here. Huge, huge, powerful stuff. I love the way we get to use this this space. I love what it means that people see how holy this is, that they would make this step here. And that's because of you guys. We had a full moon this week. Can you tell? <laughs> oh. <sighs> yeah. Anybody else having this effect? Jeez. I told you before, you just have to get used to this. The waterworks run really easy for me. Ah, thank you. So, eco-spirituality is really important to me. About 2005, I woke up in the middle of the night, like bolt upright out of bed. And I, I, it wasn't even a dream. I woke up and thought, thought this thought that wasn't my thought. This thought that just kind of dropped in and was there and present for me. And the thought was, eco-spirituality is not a religion, it's a way of life. And so I got up, and I keep I always keep a notebook next to, to me on the bedstand, and I wrote it down. And I went back to sleep. And I got up the next morning and thought, this, this pulls everything together. I had never heard the word eco-spirituality to my knowledge in the past. And so I went to Mr. Google and looked it up. And I found that the word eco-spirituality is often... Uh, used by and originated out of the Catholic culture, which, as most, most of you know, is where I grew up. And so it was I, I had spent my childhood in the Catholic faith and then a whole lot of time out studying indigenous cultures and uh, pre-Christian European cultures. And it, the word eco-spirituality kind of pulled everything in my life into one place, kind of brought me full circle to have an opportunity to see how this really isn't about religion. It's really about us. So I looked up the word to, because I like, I like to look at etymology. I want to know where words came from. What do they really mean? And the word echo comes from the word oikos, which is a Latin word that means house. And the word spirit or spirituality comes from the Latin word spiritus, which means breath. And I immediately thought about what I learned in grade school, which is that our 
breath is exchanged with the trees. That we breathe and they breathe and what we breathe is different. And what a perfect match that is. So eco-spirituality for me is about that match. It's about understanding how we are in relationship with our house, with our home, with everything else that is part of our surrounding and what it means to be in relationship. So Elizabeth's story this morning was perfect for me, perfect to talk about saving the life of the tree, perfect to know that sometimes our lives are saved not because someone watered us or fed us, but because someone stayed with us, because someone saw the need for companionship. We don't think about nature that way. We think about nature as being very independent. What does it need us for? It grows on its own. But what if nature actually needs us? It's that story about, you know, if a tree falls in the woods, does it make a sound? If nobody is there to hear it. If a flower grows, is it beautiful if nobody is there to appreciate it? How important are we in the process of life? How important are we? So this concept of eco-spirituality is about that importance, that interrelatedness, that perhaps what you see and what you smell and what you touch, what surrounds you and embraces you needs you as much as you need it. Perhaps when you walk down the street and stop at a flower garden, the smell of fragrance, the flowers sing. Perhaps it's different than what we thought, and we are the important part of this equation, what we do. So I grew up in this kind of conservative way, and I, for most of my life, spent the first several years of my life in Alaska on, a, on an 80-acre homestead. And my mom used to take us on a sled, and we walked about a mile and a half out to the mailbox to get the mail every day through the snow, whatever was going on. My mom put us all on a sled and pulled us along. And on the way out there, she would say, see that tree? God is in that tree. See that moose? Don't go near it. No, no. <laughs> she would say, God is in that moose. God is in that flower. God is in this, the flakes of snow that fall. Everything. God is in everything. I think that my mother, if she had any idea where that was going to take me, would never have said those things to me. <laughs> because in my mother's conservative upbringing, God was outside of us. God was a force that you could find in something, but it was really about a transcendent God that was outside of us. Not what we teach here at Unity and what we share at Unity, which is that we are the living expression of God. So do you know what the word nature really means? It comes from the word natura, and it means to be born. To be born. So to be born puts you in a position to be an expression, doesn't it? This church was founded by Charles and Myrtle Fillmore, and Charles said that he, what he taught was that the trinity that we see in the Bible really stands for three things. The mind, the idea, and the expression of God. 
So the father, or the mother if you prefer, however you choose to see that divine source, stands as the mind, the divine mind that can conceive of all things, that can hold the concept and the potential of all. And the idea would be one of those concepts, something that might occur in the mind of God. And then nature happens. Then there is an expression, and that idea becomes form. And we are taught, as we study this, that we are part of that expression, that we are nature. And the interesting thing is, coming from that conservative background, we tend to look at our sacred text and think, well, but it all talks about God being out there, about this God that's outside of us, that this great effort that we make to get to heaven where we can meet God. But the Bible is full of stories where we get to meet God here in a beautiful and amazing form. So let's see how your Bible how your Bible information is. See if it's somebody was way better than me in the last service. <laughs> Doesn't take a lot. <laughs> okay. So when Jesus was baptized and he came up out of the water, what happened? A sacred dove descended, right? A sacred dove descended. Not a sacred light, not a cherub, not choirs of angels. A dove. Interesting. What about, what did Moses meet that is is natural in its source? A burning bush. Ooh. This is where God talked, right? Through the burning bush. He didn't come down and pull up a chair. (laughs) Burning bush. What did Jesus walk across? Huh? Do you think you might have to have a relationship with the water to do that? Could you take five loaves and two fish and feed thousands of people? You would have to have some mastery of the physical expression of God to do that, wouldn't you? There are example after example after example, not only in the Bible, but in all holy books, that remind us that God manifests in the physical. And so we have this beautiful world outside, this wonderful place that we can enjoy, and we make it secondary in our lives. So imagine if you were God. I think I've told you you are once or twice. Imagine if you were God and and you walked up to Z and you said, Z, here are these beautiful flowers. Don't get too close to them because I need you to keep your eye on me. They're beautiful. I know they're beautiful. But don't, don't take them too seriously. Do you think that's the conversation God would have? No. If there is a creative force, and we believe there is, that manifests and expresses in the kind of beauty that we are used to seeing, then we would be invited by all logic to step fully and completely into relationship with that beauty because that beauty is the expression of the divine. We would be invited to breathe deeply, to inhale the rich fragrance, to touch, to touch. Mark had an experience that he shared with me. Mark, for you who are new, is my sweetheart. He's 
the handsome guy about third row from the back. <laughs> Don't look behind you. <laughs> um, he had an, an experience in meditation, and I think I told you guys about this earlier in the month, where he asked in meditation what the flowers wanted, and they wanted to be touched. How many of us do that? Actually touch. And if we have these sacred experiences, we're most of us afraid to talk about them because if you tell somebody that you talk to a tree, they might think you're a little crazy. They might look for a padded room. But trees have been some of my most amazing teachers. There is a tree in, in Texas by the side of a little lake. And she's she looks like a spider. She has eight arms. And those trees, if you've ever been in Texas, the ones that grow by the water, they're big. They have big root systems and and big, wide branches. And so I, when I met her, I was able to crawl up in her branches, which is, for me, quite a feat. You know, you don't think about crawling up in a tree at this point in your life. But it was low enough that I could, I could make my way up. Okay, my husband's nodding at the back. Yes, I think about crawling in trees. Okay, not all of us do, baby. So I crawled up in this tree and laid with my back against the branch and was looking up. And it was a particularly important time because I was struggling through some, some real heartbreak at the time and feeling very closed. Have you ever had that feeling where something just hurts so bad that you just have to close down and you know you're not connecting to anything? You'd like to, but it just hurts too bad. That's kind of where I was. And as I looked up in the tree, I could see how the bark around the middle of the tree, got thinner and thinner as it got to the top. And at the top were these very fragile, tiny little lime green sprouts, just little branches. And I spent a long time just looking in that and realizing that nature teaches us that sometimes we build walls and we have to reach beyond them. We are called, in this case, by the sun, We're called by the sun to reach beyond, to open up again, to in the smallest way reach out for the light, which of course is the perfect metaphor for reaching for the divine, isn't it? That when we get really tight, we most often find our recovery from that in the arms of the divine spirit. We rebuild our trust that way. And so it was such a quick lesson. It was so fast and so profound and so meaningful for me. And it came at like that. Nature teaches in ways that we could spend hours trying to learn. And it teaches immediately. All of nature. I told you last week about the little hummingbird that came and sat in front of me. I'm not any different than you guys. The only thing that might be different is I might be paying more attention, which is interesting because in Elizabeth's poem, she talked about paying attention. So I like that it says paying. There is a price to interacting with nature. And the price is your attention. When, when Charles Fillmore teaches about the Holy Trinity, he teaches about mind, idea, and expression. And he teaches that the face of the Holy Spirit is expression, which means that everything around us carries that Holy Spirit, that peace that is ours. And we get to see it 
because we are it. We are part of the creative process of God. We are the expression of the divine. And when we start looking at the beauty around us and realizing it's a mirror of us, we relate differently. Think of the most beautiful day looking at that mountain. You are that. You are that beautiful to me, to each other, in the eyes of the divine. The most fragrant flower, you are that. That rich, lung-filling fragrance that changes everything about how you feel. You are that beautiful. You are that creation. Jeannie was telling me this morning that she had to stop on the way in because there were a herd of deer in the middle of the road and they were jumping and frolicking about and playing and she said she had to stop and watch them. You are that. You are that light, gentle, loving spirit that we see in the little bunnies that hop through the garden here, in the butterflies. And it all sounds very poetic, but the point is, it's you. You are the creation of the divine. And when you begin to see in nature the beauty, the delight that surrounds you, the pure joy that exists, then you begin to realize who you really are, what you're capable of. You are created in exactly the same way. You are the source expressing. So make relationship with nature. Come to know it. Understand that it is your divine touch of God. And let it bring you back to your breath. Realize that there is always an exchange in everything. In the soil we walk on, there is an exchange. We change the world by walking. We change what happens because we walked on that particular bit of soil. And maybe, just maybe, a flower is changed because we touched it. And maybe, when we look at that mountain, maybe that mountain is blessed by our attention. Maybe we are more than the recipients. Maybe in nature we are giving as we receive through our attention and our interaction and our relationship. And if all of that is true, then we have to take care of this sacred space, don't we? If it reflects us and tells us who we are, we can't afford to lose it. Because it's very easy as human beings, for us to forget how beautiful we are, to forget what amazing, complex creatures we are. When we begin to see nature as holy, then we recover the holiness of our own hearts. And that is what eco-spirituality is all about. I have a few quotes for you. Anne Frank said, the best remedy for those who are afraid, lonely, or unhappy is to go outside, somewhere where they can be quite alone with the heavens, nature, and God, because only then does one feel that all is as it should be, and that God wishes to see people happy amidst the simple beauty of nature. Terry Tempest Williams said, 
What I know in my bones is that I forget to take time to remember what I know. The world is holy. We are holy. All life is holy. Daily prayers are delivered on the lips of breaking waves, the whispering of grasses, and the shimmering of leaves. Alan Hofhasnes said, I always regarded nature as the clothing of God. Martin Luther said, God writes the gospel not in the Bible alone, but on trees and flowers and clouds and stars. And Elizabeth Barrett Browning said, Earth's crammed with heaven, and every common bush is a fire with God. <laughs> 